For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The scribes and the Pharisees spent their lives striving for righteousness. They dressed religiously. They studied the scriptures daily. They conducted all the affairs needed for the temple and the synagogue. They often did this from birth, set apart with lives to be lived in outward observance, the pinnacle of religion. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was impressive, a righteousness though of appearance and not of the heart. As Jesus elsewhere says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15. The scribes and the Pharisees, they honored God's word with a nod, but they really esteemed their traditions, man's traditions, over God's commandments. They were not concerned with faith in the divine promise. Instead, they were concerned with human praise and worldly glory. They wanted to be known as religious as possible so that men would honor and respect them. But as James says in his epistle, such religion is useless. For honor and respect are first due to God, as the holy law of God commands, as we heard in Exodus. Love God, and only then can you love your neighbor. So by way of example, to show how far they had come from God's holy law, Jesus reminds you of the fifth commandment. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Good so far. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment too. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council as well. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now you might think that Jesus is just taking the law and he's amplifying it and making it even more severe, now adding additional law to the fifth commandment. Of course, if you were a Bible scholar, you'd know that he's actually just quoting the fifth commandment as it's taught in Leviticus. They had forgotten the full severity of God's holy law, its intended purpose. So if you think that the righteousness that God demands and commands in the law, given at Sinai, could ever come from you, Jesus wants you to consider just one of the commandments today, the fifth. Jesus preaches the law lawfully, accomplishing what it was always meant to do. And he is, as he himself teaches in John, that the law was given to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That was always the point, the spirit working through this word of law to bring all of God's Israel captive to their sin so that they would never trust in themselves to bring about the righteousness God requires or to find hope or a future in themselves or even more 
to try to bring about a kingdom of heaven on earth by their own works and their own commands. So Jesus preaches the law lawfully, bringing every hearer under its accusation for who has kept the fifth commandment if it is taught in this way, who has not considered their neighbor a fool, even said as much, who has not hated his brother and maybe even murdered in their heart. When we're faced up with the law's demands, we really only have a few options. The first is the easiest. You could just ignore the word of God altogether, ignore that law and live by the desires of your heart, the old Epicurean delusion. We can see that all around us. God made me this way, they say. And then they live a rebellious, liberal life that denies everything that God has shown them by nature is actually true and what he has explicitly commanded and forbidden in his holy word. We have shorthand terms for such people who live as if they mattered most and God did not matter at all. We call them either pagans or heathens. Unbelievers, you might just say. But that's not the only ones who hmm, try to get around God's word of law. You could adjust, manipulate, or massage the law into something that isn't quite so severe, not quite as harsh, more doable, more keepable. Soften the law with loopholes and escape clauses. Maybe the things that Jesus or Paul or someone else said only applied in the first century or in their context. Maybe we've actually just never really read the Bible the way that the original writers intended. Or so the loopholes and excuses go. This is the, the way of the liberal so-called Christian churches. There's another option too. So not just ignore the law or soften it, but this would be the legalist move. Adding new and more laws that are more doable and attainable while ignoring the full severity of what God actually commands and demands. That's who Jesus is after here in the text today, the Pharisees and the scribes. They have 600-some laws that they've added to those simple 10 words given by Moses, or by way of Moses. And that was their way around. They had so many laws that, of course, only the most virtuous and righteous could possibly accomplish them. Of course, even that's a deceit, isn't it? And really, the only other option, the third way, is just to despair of any hope by way of the law to see what God demands and say that there's no way, there's no way I could do that. And thus there's no way out of its accusation. This is the work that the Holy Spirit wants to happen. That you would actually be in despair of yourself. He wants you to stop believing that there's a hope in you to believe, to be or to do or to say what God requires. That there's another way outside of God forgiving you your sins to attain to what God requires. The righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is that of a perfect heart or a clean conscience. It is the righteousness of right motive, pure desire, perfect love, and a generous spirit. The righteousness that God requires seeks not its own benefit, but only what is best for the neighbor. It is a righteousness that covers up what would shame or bring the neighbor into disgrace. 
It is a righteousness that rejoices in helping the neighbor out of every trouble. It is, this is the righteousness that is needed and that God demands. Jesus says that if one does not have such righteousness, one cannot enter into God's kingdom. But such righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees is not found within ourselves. As the hymnist put it, it was a false and misleading dream that God, his law, had given, that sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. There's the full severity of the law brought down upon us. But even when the full weight of the law came bearing down upon even our first parents and every parent since, the crushing blow of the law's hammer grinding us into pieces, casting us out of the garden, condemning us to a life of struggle, worry, and difficulty, and even death. That was never the last word, or even the primary word that God wanted you to hear. We spend a lot of time talking about thou shalt and thou shalt not. But that wasn't the ultimate point. So from the beginning, God the Father promised his son as the seed of the woman, born under the law to redeem those who suffered the law's killing blows. And then he repeated the promise over and over of this Messiah to every patriarch. And the promise of the seed of the woman was the hope of every matriarch. The faithful heard and believed God's word of judgment, yes, but they didn't stop there. They put their hope in the redemption, salvation, and deliverance of Jesus Christ, the promised seed, the branch from Jesse's torn-down stump, the lamb that atoned for sins, the scapegoat who bore those sins away. If such righteousness cannot be found within oneself, then righteousness before God must be found outside oneself. Or as the reformers gave us a shorthand, extra notes outside ourselves. And if this righteousness is to be valid before God, if it is to open up heaven to us, then it must be from God, from his word. And thanks to God, he has provided it. The way, no doubt, is Christ, who became our righteousness before God, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. Christ is our righteousness, the fulfillment of that word spoken by Jeremiah 23. This is why St. Paul can speak th these wonderful words for us. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, reckoned to him for righteousness. So our salvation, our righteousness, what God in Christ demands today is given to us actually by Christ. Not by our work, but a gift, justifying the ungodly, accounted, reckoned to us for righteousness. Thus, our own theological constitution, that of this congregation, asserts this. Our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their strength, merits, or works. People are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins 
and God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. Augsburg Confession, Article 4. So when Jesus says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking about himself and how he will purchase and win for you righteousness and give it to you freely as a gift. And thanks to Jesus for giving us that righteousness through his suffering and death. Thanks to Jesus for removing the crushing weight of the law and all its demands and commands and pressed into us instead the eternal weight of glory, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks to Jesus for forgiving us daily and richly through our baptism into his word and name. And thanks to Jesus that he gives us today his righteousness under bread and wine, that is his body and blood, for the forgiveness of our sins, our righteousness now and forever. And him alone is our only hope of life and salvation. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.